If you have your Bible handy there, we'll just go ahead and jump right on into the Word. And while you're finding it, let me say we're going to talk tonight about the, having confidence in the Word of God. And that is something that I believe uh, probably all of us in this room have. But it's always good to be reminded of it from time to time. And I think I'm going to give you a couple of places here tonight in this passage that uh, may be new to you or may not. It was a little bit new to me, the specifics of all of this that we find in chapter 12 of Ezekiel. So I hope uh, that as we uh, read and study the Word tonight, that uh, you will be blessed, and we pray God's blessings as we do that. Confidence in the Word of God. We're going to begin at verse 25 of Exodus, and we're going to read just that one verse to start off with, and then we'll get on into the rest of the text. <clears throat> this is God speaking, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25. For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for uh, today. It's been a good day, and we're grateful to be able to be here this evening to spend this time together in your word. And Father, uh, we confess that apart from uh, your word, apart from the Holy Spirit who teaches us and helps us understand your word, uh, Lord, uh, this book would be a, uh, one we could not understand. It would be a dark book to us, but we're grateful, Lord, that you not only, Holy Spirit, have inspired your word, but also you have uh, illuminated our hearts and minds that we may be able to understand your word. So tonight we pray, dear God, that you would meet with us, that you would show yourself strong in our behalf. And Lord, we're thankful uh, for everyone who's here tonight. We know that, uh, Lord, people, we all have choices to be different places. And thank you for those who are here tonight and others who are in other places, Lord, uh, in our church uh, buildings, whether they're meeting uh, with students or choir or wherever it may be. Lord, thank you for each and every person. And uh, Lord, we commit this time to you and pray tonight, Lord, you would anoint the preaching of your word and anoint our ears, ears that we may hear what your spirit is saying to us tonight. We pray in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We want to have confidence in the word of God. Why should we have confidence in the word of God? First of all, these are not in your notes, but anyway, first of all, we ought to have confidence in the word of God because of what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof and correction that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good purpose. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the difference between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the Bible says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In Isaiah 55 and verse 11, God said, So shall my word be. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I want it to accomplish. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and 24 and verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word 
will never pass away. We ought to love the Word of God and have confidence in the Word of God because of what the Bible says about itself. But secondly, because of what men have done to preserve it. The name William Tyndale may be a name familiar to you. He lived back uh, in the 14, 1500s. He took it upon himself to interpret or translate the New Testament into standard English. At that time, though he lived in England, it was against the law for anyone to have a copy of the Word of God. The only people who could have it were clergy members, people uh, of the cloth, as they said to themselves and about themselves. But William Tyndale believed that everybody ought to have access to the Word of God. And so he began to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew, the original languages, into common English. And do you know what happened to him because of that? He was burned at the stake. He believed it was so important to, for everyone to have a copy of the Word of God himself, he was willing to die for that cause. And so we ought to have confidence in the Word of God because of what men have done to preserve it. Also, we ought to have confidence in the Word of God because how, of how lives have been changed. Has your life been changed by the Word of God? Mine has, and I trust yours has as well. Paul wrote in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, that is the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then also we ought to have confidence in the Word of God because of not only how God changes our lives, but what we have to look forward to in the future because of the truth of the Word of God. I love a quote that I found today by a man named N.T. Wright. The only thing I don't like about it is I wish I'd said it first. He said, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, the book I want to die by. Now, isn't that a great quote? The Word of God is something that we ought to have great confidence in. And I'm going to show you one more reason tonight as we look here in Ezekiel chapter 25 on having confidence in the Word of God. And if you have your outline handy, we're going to begin at uh, point number one. And let me give you the verse uh, rather, the uh, fill-in-the-blank word here, and then we'll read the passage. Point number one, God's Word was fulfilled in the life of a prince in Israel. Now, that prince's name was Zedekiah. We're going to be talking tonight principally about two men, one named Zedekiah and another one named Jeconiah, and we'll get to Jeconiah in point number three. But let's look, first of all, about what happened to this man whose name is Jeconiah. We'll get to him in just a moment. Let me read uh, verses 1 and 2 to start off with. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, that's, he's addressing Ezekiel there, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see, and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Now, God spoke that to Ezekiel. He had also spoken it to other prophets, to Jeremiah and to Isaiah. And even Jesus spoke these same words hundreds of years later to those who are alive in his day. They said, you have, he said, you have ears to hear, but you don't hear. You have eyes to see, but you don't see. That is because you are a rebellious people. God deliver us 
from being rebellious. God, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may see and that we may hear what you are saying, what you are doing in the church and in our own lives. Verse 3, therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from the place into, from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight, and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders, and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity, and at evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. First of all here, we have the drama. As you may recall in previous uh, Uh, lessons and uh, messages that we've had through Ezekiel that God used Ezekiel in some unusual ways. He uh, led him to act out the message that God wanted to give to his people. Now remember that Ezekiel is in Babylon. He is there with approximately 10,000 people who have already been exiled from Judah and Jerusalem over to Babylon. His messages were given to the people of Judea who were living in Babylon. And so here again, God's word comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. I want you to pack up your stuff, but pack it up as though you yourself were a person who is not in captivity, but you are going into captivity. So in a case like that, a person would carry just a very minimal amount of items that they could carry because they're in a hurry and also because their captors wouldn't let them take a whole bunch of stuff. So typically they would take a little bottle of water uh, and they would take something to sleep on and maybe take uh, some kind of cloth or something just to keep themselves clean if they could. Just the very minimal kind of stuff a person would carry in their pack on their back. And so he says, "Uh, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pack up that stuff. I want you to put it over your shoulder and I want you to leave out of your house and to walk around so the people can see you. And then later in the day at twilight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig a hole through the wall in your house, crawl out that hole and come out the other side so that you are then outside of your house. And God said, maybe the people will think about that. Now, let me ask you this question. If you saw a dude doing that, would you think about it? Yeah, you probably would, wouldn't you? You'd think, what in the world is that guy doing? Got his backpack on. He's crawling out through a hole that he has dug in the wall of his own house. Well, let's see what happened, actually. Let's look now at verse 8. Uh, after he said, I did that. And then at verse 8, in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, 
what are you doing? And that's what they had said. God says here that, uh, that that's what they asked him. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, this burden, and that word burden there means prophecy or sermon or oracle, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am a sign to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. I will scatter every wind to every wind, all who are around him, to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But when I spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine and from pestilence, that they may declare all of the abominations among the Gentiles, wherever they may go, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So here's what God says uh, to Ezekiel the second time. First time he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Do this. He did it. And the people are saying, well, Ezekiel, what's going on here? I don't get it. So here's what I want you to say to them. I am a sign to you. What you saw me do is going to happen to the people who are still living in Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. And it's specifically about the man who is the prince in Jerusalem right now. That prince's name is Zedekiah. Now, in other places in the Old Testament, Zedekiah is referred to as King Zedekiah. But Ezekiel never refers to him as king. In fact, he never calls his name. But he, is, he calls him the prince because technically... He was never a king in the eyes of many, especially Ezekiel, in Israel. But here's what's going to happen to him. Just as I told you to get your backpack on and uh, dig out of your house and put something over your face so that you won't see the ground, kind of blindfold yourself, and let them ask you then what's going on. Here's what's going to happen to Zedekiah, the prince in Jerusalem. Notice here what he says is going to happen. Verse 12, the prince who's in Jerusalem among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. So he says, Zedekiah, he is going into captivity, but before he goes into captivity, he's going to go out through a wall with his backpack on his back. Now remember, he's a prince or he was a king. So a king typically would have all kinds of good stuff that he could carry along with him. 
He's not going to take any of that stuff. He's going to take only what he can carry in his backpack. And then they shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. Just like Ezekiel did, so is Zedekiah going to do. He also said, verse 13, I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Now that's strange, isn't it? God says, I'm going to take him out of Jerusalem. I'm going to take him to Chaldea or Babylon. But even though I'm going to take him there, he is not going to see it. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll show you what it means. Turn now to the fulfillment of this prophecy in 2 Kings chapter 25 and verses 4 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 25 and verses 4 through 7. You're going to see that every specific prophecy that Ezekiel spoke about this episode came to pass. Look with me now at 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 4. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, were still encamped all around against the city. And the king, or the prince, went by way of the plain. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's armies are encamped around Jerusalem. But, and so Zedekiah and some of his men of war, some of his warriors are trying to escape. And so at night, at twilight, just like Ezekiel said, they are digging a hole in the wall of the city of Jerusalem, and they are going out of the city. Now look at verse 5. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him exactly like Ezekiel had prophesied. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then, and notice this, this is horrible, but this is what happened. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. The last sight that Zedekiah had, the last image on his mind, was that the Babylonians had put his two sons to death. Immediately after that, they put out Zedekiah's eyes. And then they took him captive all the way then to Babylon. 
You see, you remember what Ezekiel said? God said. So when, when Nebuchadnezzar was doing this to Ezekiel, uh, rather to Zedekiah, he was really filling God's purpose in his life. Because God said, I will bring him to Nebuchadnezzar. I will take him then on to Babylon. So who did it? Nebuchadnezzar. Well, was it really Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he was acting in behalf of God to do what he did. So how did then Zedekiah get transferred to Babylon? And though he died there, he never saw Babylon. It was because they put his eyes out at the plain of a little town called Ribla. Do you see the word of God prophesied by the true prophet of God came to pass exactly as God said it would. So we have here, first of all, God's word being fulfilled in the life of a prince whose name is Zedekiah. Let's go back now to our passage in Ezekiel, and we're going to see point number two. In your outline, it says God's word was fulfilled in the timing of Jerusalem's destruction. God's word was fulfilled in the timing of Jerusalem's destruction. Let's pick up the reading now back in chapter 12 of Ezekiel and start to read at verse 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking or shivering, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. Well, that's again, that's something strange sounding to us, doesn't it? Why would God tell the prophet, eat your water, eat your bread and drink your water while you're quaking in your boots or your sandals and while you are nervous with anxiety? God explains it in verse 19. Say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel. They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. So here again, God is telling Ezekiel what this uh, drama means. It means that the people who are still in Jerusalem are going to be so nervous and worried, they'll be running out of food and water. They're going to be drinking their water while they're quaking, while they're nervous, they're going to be eating what little bread they have left in the same manner because they know that it's just a matter of time before the armies of the, of the Babylonians 
are going to close them in, and they're either going to be taken off into captivity or they're going to be put to death. Here again is a, a prophecy that was fulfilled exactly the way Ezekiel said it would be. But continue reading now with me at verse 21. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, what is this proverb uh, that uh, you people have about the land of Israel, which says, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. This was a common proverb that the people in that day would say. They, They would say, well, you know, we've heard other prophets say stuff and it hadn't come to pass. So why should we believe Ezekiel? Why should we believe this prophet? After all, look at all the weird stuff this guy does. Why should we believe what he says? We've had other prophets to tell us stuff just the opposite of that. And we've had other prophets say this and that to us, and none of it has happened. So why, are, why is anybody getting upset about what Ezekiel says? Then look at verse 23. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand, and the fulfillment of every vision, for no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel, for I am the Lord, I speak And the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. So here's what God says now. Ezekiel, tell these people, not only am I going to make it so that that first proverb is not true any longer because the days are at hand, verse 23, and the fulfillment of every vision. So no more shall there be any false vision. And uh, in the chapters after this, chapter 13 in particular, uh, Ezekiel speaks about the number of false prophets who are in Jerusalem and even in Babylon saying to them, don't worry about this. What they were saying in Babylon right then was, we're only going to be here a short time. So don't don't do what Jeremiah told you to do. He said, when you get taken to Babylon, you should settle in there. You should build houses. You should work for the good of the city of Babylon because you're going to be there for 70 years. The false prophet said, no, no, no. Okay, we were wrong about some of us coming over to Babylon. Okay, you know, you caught us on that one. But... We, we're telling you the truth now. We're not going to be here long. We're just going to be here a couple of years, and then we'll be going back to Jerusalem. That was not true. Ezekiel knew it wasn't true. Jeremiah knew it wasn't true. And yet the people, many of them, wanted to believe it. But God says, in distinction from what the false prophets say, again, this is the key verse tonight, verse 25 For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It's going to happen in your lifetime. So that's why I say God's word was fulfilled in the timing of Jerusalem's destruction. And again, verse 26. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, look, 
The house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be postponed any more, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. People in that day were saying, okay, maybe it will happen, but it's going to be so far out in the future, it won't affect any of us. Where is all this promise that Ezekiel is making? It doesn't matter because some of us probably be dead and gone. It won't matter to us anyway. Doesn't sound like the people that Peter wrote about in 2 Peter, and he said there's some people today talking about the second coming of Christ who say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the beginning of time, everything has happened just like it always has. One day comes, the next day comes, and so on. Where is the promise of his coming? People are still saying that in our day, aren't they? Where is the promise of Jesus coming? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here on the earth and since he died and rose again. You Christians are saying all that, that he's coming again. Where's the evidence of that? What do you have to show for it? Well, what we have to show for it is the word of God. The word of God can be depended upon the word of God. We can be confident in the word because the prophecies of the Old Testament and many in the New Testament also have already come to pass. And so because God's word is trustworthy, because God's word is true, because he has fulfilled it every jot and tittle, Jesus said none of it will pass away until it's all fulfilled. Then we can have confidence knowing that though Jesus, from our standpoint, is delaying his coming, he will come. Would it be all right if he came tonight? All right. Well, if he did, you ready to go up through the ceiling? Yeah, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Here we go. But here's what Ezekiel was saying. It may seem like a long time to you but it's not going to be. It's going to be soon. Well, how soon was it? Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 25, and we're going to find out. Right after the Bible tells us what happened to Zedekiah, the king or the prince, in the verses we read a moment ago, we read these words, starting at... Verse 8 of 2 Kings, chapter 25. This is right after Zedekiah tried to escape, but was taken to Babylon, having been blinded by King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great people, he burned with fire, and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. And there's more to it, but I'll stop the reading right there. Here's what's happening. Right after, shortly after, Zedekiah was taken to Babylon, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar are still around 
the city of Jerusalem, and they begin in earnest to attack the city of Jerusalem, come in uh, through the gates of the city, burn the city, burn the gates, burn the temple, and they do that shortly after what we saw in the early verses. Now, it's kind of like, here's what God is saying. Listen to me, you people. It may seem like a long time to you, but once it gets started, it's going to happen quickly. Once there comes a tipping point, you're going to be amazed and shocked and surprised at how quickly it does happen. That's the way it is, by the way, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus said twice in chapter 22, Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming quickly. People say, what do you mean he's coming soon? It's been 2,000 years. He isn't here yet. He's not coming soon. Well, what the verse means is, what he meant when he said, I'm coming soon and I'm coming quickly is that once I do come, once the tipping point is reached, it's going to happen quickly. And we see that every time God fulfills his promise. There, there are many, many promises that are fulfilled around one particular season in, the, in uh, God's economy of time. You just look at the birth of Jesus. There were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the birth of Jesus. And they were fulfilled in this short period of time from the time that, that Gabriel made the announcement to Mary that she was going to become the mother of the Messiah until the actual birth of Jesus, which happened about uh, nine, ten months after that. So, so it took a long time for it to get there, but once it got there, these things happened quickly. And that's what Jesus means when he said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming soon. Peter said, by the way, that a thousand days, uh, rather one day is like a thousand years in the sight of God. And a thousand years is as one day. Now, how many years has it been since Jesus ascended back to the Father? Approximately 2,000 years. So if a thousand years is like one day, then it's really just been two days, hasn't it? Since Jesus went back to glory. That's not very long. Two days ago was Monday. Two days from now is going to be Friday. That doesn't seem like a very long time. So it may seem like a long time to us. But in God's prophecy, in God's timetable, this is the way he chooses to reveal his word to us. So we can have confidence in the word of God because God's word is fulfilled in the life of that prince, that king named Zedekiah, because God's word is fulfilled in the timing. God said, I'm going to show you when it's going to happen. When you see Zedekiah, when you see these things happen to Zedekiah, know that Jerusalem's destruction is coming soon. And then there's one more person here and one more point I want to make tonight. And um, it is actually, I'll give you the point. I may, um, I may come back to this because there's so much more in this particular aspect of it than I realized when I began to put this message together. And it may be worth a message next week. We'll see. Point number three, God's word was fulfilled in the life of a king whose name is Jehoiachin or Jeconiah. He was known by either name. 
Actually, he had a third name as well, just Kaniah, but he who disobeyed God's word. He disobeyed God's word. I'll give you two verses here to start off with, and then we'll just bring it to a conclusion. If you'll look at 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 8, the Bible says, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Jehushta, the daughter of El Nathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's a guy who was 18 years old when he became king. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he only reigned for three months. There's got to be more to the story. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get into it next week. But what I want you to, to think with me about is this. That Bible that you hold in your hand or is on your lap is the precious Word of God. We ought to read it, study it, meditate on it, Think about it, memorize it, listen to it, sing it, whatever way we can get the Word of God into us, we need to do it. Listen to what John Wesley said. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, he said this, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven how to land safely on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. May God grant that each one of us may be a man or woman of one book, the book of the ages, the book of God, the book of salvation, the book that reveals the truth about who God is, how we can know him, how we can love him, and how we can serve him and others for his glory.